I, um, I, I long for my family to follow Jesus. Um, and I, I don't know, many of you would be shaking your head saying, yeah, that's my prayer too. My, my children would follow Jesus. My, my grandchildren, if you're blessed with grandchildren, would follow Jesus. I, I long that those who are nearest and dearest to me uh, would, would be faith, people of faith. Um, and we know... We confess freely that you and I cannot make choices for one another. You can't make choices for me. I can't make choices for you. We each are responsible before God to make choices that we alone can make. But what can we do? What can we do to inspire faith in the next generation? What can we do to to encourage uh, those whom we love dearly uh, to embrace the one we love dearly. This morning we're going to kind of, kind of, pursue, we're going to kind of pursue this question. Uh, and we're in this journey, we're calling it the big picture. We're moving from Genesis through Revelation. Uh, we are attempting to understand the threads that hold Scripture together in the big picture, the meta-narrative. We're, we're nearing the halfway point of our 12-week journey. This is week five in that journey. And, and you know, there are people who who accuse the Old Testament of kind of being out of touch and, and disassociated with uh, the things that we are, um, are living in the midst of our life. And I hope that you're discovering that that's so far from the truth, that, that these are accounts of people very much like you and me, uh, people who were living their lives in, in extraordinary circumstances, ordinary circumstances, and who were encountering and meeting God in the midst of those, those circumstances. Um, and, and I hope that this morning in particular, you'll find that it, it's rather practical the way that we encounter this. We, we, let me just kind of do a quick recap, because it's, it's about more than just the message of this morning. It's about this, this connection that is tying all of this together. And we started uh, five Sundays ago. We started in the book of Genesis. Uh, we... Uh, it discovered that the, this, this extraordinary claim right at the beginning of the book that God created everything. Um, as creator, he is the, the, the master, he's the sustainer. It, it is right and fitting that we would respond to him in this beautiful, good, pristine world that he created. We get to Genesis chapter 3. And, and we encountered the devastating consequences of, uh, of humanity, Adam and Eve, choosing to rebel against God and embrace their own, take matters into their own hands, go their own direction. We too, we kind of immediately stepped out of the garden and we encountered the extraordinary devastation that came because of uh, these willful choices that humanity had, had made. Immediately we fell, humanity fell into chaos and ruin. And yet, God resolved to stick with us. He resolved, he sought out those who, whom, whom he could declare to be righteous, guys like Noah, a family through whom he says he will bring his rescue to all of humanity. Abraham, and then through his children, his child Isaac, and then Jacob. And ultimately, a couple of Sundays ago, we were in the book of Exodus. That family tree found themselves enslaved in Egypt hundreds of years later. God had not forgotten them. 
He was still working his purposes, even in the midst of really extraordinary, really difficult circumstances. And he, was, he brought them out of Egypt, raised up a man named Moses to lead them. And then last Sunday, we kind of were confronted with this reality that, that in that exodus, God was demonstrating not only was he concerned about his people, but he wanted to be near his people. He wanted to dwell with his people. And we're confronted with this extraordinary reality. How is it possible for an unholy people, a people with this kind of trajectory of devastation and chaos, how is it possible for an unholy people to dwell with a holy God? Gasoline and fire cannot coexist together. And yet God had drawn near. And right in the middle of the the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Right in the middle is Leviticus. And right in the middle of Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter 16, is this chapter on atonement. How humanity was going to be made right with God by God's grace and his work. We discovered that it looks forward to this temporary provision, looked forward to the permanent provision that God would make for us through Jesus. Jesus, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And if you took the time to read through Leviticus, you'll read about sacrifices and systems and ritual purity. If you're like me at all, you're like, holy smokes, is it ever nice to live in the era that we live in. Um, I am so grateful to have been born when I was born. Well, we, we come this week then and we say, okay, well, that's, that's awesome. Right? God has made a way. He's made a provision. You know, we can coexist with him. He longs to be with us. We get to, should be, should be good to go now, right? Like easy peasy. You, you know, like, like what else is there? God loves us. He wants to be with us. He wants to walk with us. He made it possibly shown us how to walk with him. How, how, difficult, how difficult can this be? And in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, then we're introduced to Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and 1 Samuel. So we've been kind of jogging through a book of the Bible at a time. We're about to start leaping through sort of segments of Scripture. So hold on to your hats. We've got to kind of cover a lot of, a lot of ground if we're going to get to Revelation in, in 12 weeks. Um, the, the, they call this the era of the Judges period of history known as the Judges. Um, and in the midst of all kinds of things that would, we quite frankly would read through and we'd find it pretty discouraging. Um, there's, there's this encouragement. Um, those who live in covenant obedience will experience God. Those who live in covenant obedience will experience God. He will draw near to you. He will provide for you. Uh, He will will meet you with his assistance in times of trouble. Those who live in covenant obedience will experience God. Those who refuse will ultimately experience God's judgment. So let me summarize these accounts for you. And what I wanted to do, pardon me, I'll just step off camera for a moment because I forgot to bring my prop out here. Um, What what I wanted to do was kind of uh, 
take some words that we're going to encounter as we go through this morning and, and kind of treat them like, you know, hooks on a coat tree. And, uh, and maybe in that, discover that, that it kind of helps us stay focused this morning. So, so, the, so the first word that I'll hang there is the word choose. It's the word choose. Uh, so we've made our way through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, so we didn't talk about Numbers. Numbers continues the journey of the children of Israel through the wilderness. Uh, Deuteronomy, those of you who have been with us for a few years, a couple of years ago we spent quite a bit of time in Deuteronomy. Um, Moses preaches these sermons um, at the conclusion of his life, uh, and, and in them he implores the children of Israel to be obedient to God as he takes them into the land. They're, on the, they're still in the wilderness. They're about the, the children of those that came out of Egypt are about to go into the land. Moses doesn't get to go with them. And he implores them through these sermons that are saved together as the book of Deuteronomy to be obedient to God as they go into the land. Moses then, end of the book of Deuteronomy, goes up on the mountain and he dies. Um, and the close of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, the, the books of Moses, the book of Moses, uh, the law, Leviticus is the very center of it. The, you know, it's clearly kind of legal type language. That's, and then we step into the book of Joshua, which is named after the guy who's kind of featured in the book. Joshua's been with Moses through much of the journey. Uh, Joshua and Caleb were two of the 12 that went into the land to spy out the land. They were the two that brought back the good report. They said, yes, God is with us. He's going to see us through. The other 10 said, no, we're not. Uh, The people rebelled. Uh, They died in the wilderness, that generation, except for Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb uh, were told they would go into the land. And now they're about to go into the land. The opening of the book of Joshua is God saying, I'm going to be with you the way I was with Moses. I'm going to esteem you in the eyes of the people that you're leading, the way I esteemed Moses in the eyes of those people. And the book of Joshua then talks about them going into the land and attempting to live as as covenant faithful people in the land. Uh, They're they're, they're attempting to be obedient to God. They walk through uh, the the clearing of the land. This This is a land where Abraham had been there four or five hundred years before. And God said, I'm going to give you this land, but the sins of the Amorites have not yet reached their full. In other words, you read that in Genesis, in other words, the, the sinful people are being given yet more time to respond to my grace. Um, but, but there's going to be a limit to it. And if they don't respond, the time will come when I will bring judgment against them. Enter the book of Joshua, God begins bringing judgment. And yet even in the midst of bringing judgment, uh, there's, there's grace. Uh, Rahab and her family, uh, they recognize, they can recount the things God has done. Like that's how well known, they, this is pre-internet, nobody posted it on their blog. Uh, and yet the people knew the reputation of God and what he'd done for the ch- children of Israel. And, and, and that he needed to be responded to. Rahab does, and her family are saved. There's a whole people group that we read about in Joshua who, who come and they deceive the children of Israel because they're afraid of them. They recognize they don't, want to, they don't want to experience God's judgment. And though they're not Israelites, they become part of the foreigners among the people of the land. But most, most, they stand in defiance. They build alliances together against the people of God, against God's purposes. And in this, they just they show their heart. They show their heart. They're not prepared to be responsive to God at all. And, and despite the fact that they know the stories of God's greatness and the things that he's done, they, they refuse 
they refused to embrace him. And, and so the book of Joshua tells about the ups and the downs of all of this that has gone on. By the time we get to the end of the book of Joshua, um, he does what Moses did at the end of his life. He gathers the people together, and he says, look, I'm old, I'm, I'm going to be die. I'm going to die soon, but I want, I want to implore you, I want to implore you to choose God. Choose him. Joshua chapter 23, and then I'm going to jump into 24, verse 14. Let me just read this for you. That years passed, and the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all their enemies. Joshua, who is now very old, called together all the elders, leaders, judges, and officers of Israel. He said to them, I am now a very old man. You have seen everything the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime. The Lord your God has fought for you against your enemies. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or, or, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Yeah, I mean, Joshua delivers this beautiful, you know, powerful sermon to the people. And, and, and the interesting that the people respond, they say, yeah, yeah yes, 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 we will. Now, if, if it's the first time you've read through this and you're not particularly familiar with sort of ancient writing style, you may be scratching your head because Joshua says, no, you won't. And then the people say, no, 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 we will. Honestly, we will. And Joshua stands back and he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. No, you won't. You're going to screw this up. And, and then they're back and forth. But honestly, we will. And no, you won't. And, and what scholars tell us is it's actually a form of, of ancient writing. It was a form of treaty writing, of, of reaffirming the covenant with them. Such that in the end, Joshua says, well, frankly, I doubt it. Um, but God help you, because that's the only hope you've got. Um, and you now are witnesses. You have renewed the covenant of your ancestors in your generation. You are now responsible to, to carry forward in obedience the promises that you're committing yourself to. It's a renewal of the covenant. It's fascinating. And one more time, I'm really glad that I live in the era that I live in rather than in the day because it seems like the very next, okay, it's two chapters later, and they've already demonstrated the No, they're not. Joshua was right. They're going to screw this up. Judges follows Joshua, picks up where the story left off in Joshua. Judges chapter 1. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah, for I have given them victory over the land. Let me just pause there for a minute. We, we discover something else about ancient writing. Um, among several things, uh, Joshua had said the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all their enemies. Judges says, uh, go and clean out your enemies. Okay, so once again, we're confronted with kind of just ancient writing style. And one of the principles would be this. All doesn't usually mean all. Um, all usually means most. So, so it, it's, it's hyperbole. It's 
that's being used here. So, so Joshua said, God's given you rest from your lands, meaning, relatively speaking, compared to where you were, God's given you rest from the land. He's given you victory over, your, over the people. But if we read the text in detail, both before that statement and after that statement, we know that, well, that's mostly true. However, there are still an awful lot of people in the land who, who, who haven't been subdued to God. Uh, there, were, there were members of the tribes of Israel who only sort of did what God commanded them to do. Uh, they went, and the cities, so, so each of the tribes were given sort of a region of the land. They were to conquer, and they were to expel these, these wretched people who were, had these horrific worshiping practices. God had been patient. Now judgment time had come. They were to expel them. They were either to join with Israel, like Rahab and others, or, or they, were to be, they, were to be, they were to be gone. And... And some took the easy path. It's like, the city's too big. Like, I don't think we're going to... They doubted God. Um, and so they went to the hill country, and so they, they kind of, sort of. The problem was, as God had predicted, their disobedience in this matter was going to come back to haunt them. Because these people that had these horrific worship practices were going to begin to intermarry with the Israelite people and their faith practices and their belief systems and the priorities of their lives were going to get mingled in and it becomes a syncretistic ugh, that, that, that ultimately results in the failure of the faith of, of, of it seems like the majority of the people. Judges chapter 2 verse 10 is kind of the, the, the tragic statement of where this all leads. After that generation died, so in other words, after Joshua's generation and the generation that had kind of cleared the land with Joshua, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. We say, oh my goodness, how can that be? The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal, they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. You say, how is it possible? After Moses implored a generation, and then Joshua implored a generation, we say, how is this possible? Our first hook was choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in those words is this remarkable reality that every generation must make their own profession of faith in God. God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. He only has children, those who they themselves will say, As far as I can manage, the best I can do, I'm going to choose God. Whatever else goes on around me, I must choose God. I'm going to make my own, as for me and my house, commitment. And as far as it depends on me, we will choose Him. That's the first sort of memory hook for us this morning. The second one is the word remember. It's, it's the word remember. Um, 
Judges 2 says, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done. Now, now a more literal rendering from the original Hebrew here is, is this. They did not know the Lord or the work that he had done. Now, the word knowledge to the Hebrew mind was about more than just information. It was about information, but it was also about experience. It's an informational word. It's also an experiential word. And if there was a failure in Joshua's generation, it was this. They failed to lead their children in not just an understanding of God, but also an experience of God. Remember, we watched a movie Friday night um, yesterday. A fabulous movie um, built around the music of the Beatles. Uh, more than once I found myself in tears. Um, such great music. Uh, that was nostalgia. That was looking back. Um, part looking back to a junior high teacher that I had who uh, loved music and decided that we would do a, a module on music history um, that was focused around the music of the 60s and, and the Beatles, her era. her. So I came to kind of love it through her love for it. We remembered. Um, but that was nostalgic remembrance, uh, not engaged, active remembrance in the here and now. Moses had left specific instructions for the children of Israel concerning this passing on of faith to the next generation. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, or the Lord alone. So, so, so you may remember this is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Shema. The heart, uh, it's the heart of the Old Testament law, summarizing uh, the Ten Commandments. Shema Yisrael Adonai Elecheinu Adonai Echad. The Lord is one. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. This is remembering. This isn't just nostalgic looking back. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. In other words, just like, like this needs to be so much the fabric of your life that it's utterly obvious that this is not, there's no nostalgia in this. This is living, active, here and now. Uh, Moses says, tie them on your hands, wear them on your foreheads as reminders, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Whatever you need to do to make sure that you keep this as the priority of your life, do that. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. And when you've eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God. We talked about that last week, right? Holy, reverent awe. We treat certain things with great respect and care. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. When you take an oath, you must use only his name. 
You must not worship any of the gods of your neighboring nations, for the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. His anger will flare up against you, and he will wipe you from the face of the earth. More hyperbole there. You must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. You must diligently obey the commands of the Lord your God, all the laws and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so all will go well with you. And then you will enter the, and occupy the good land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors. You will drive out all the enemies living in the land, just as the Lord said he would. And in the future, when your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws and decrees and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? Then you must tell them this. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so, so he could give us this land. He'd sworn to give our ancestors. And, to the Lord, and the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so he can, can continue to bless us and, and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. For we... We will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord our God has given us. Remember. Remember the second hook for us this morning. Repeat, relive, review from current living experience. Remember the Lord through continued ongoing daily experience of the Lord. In other words, don't let your faith be a prayer that I once prayed. You know, or, or, or a place I go some Sundays, maybe many, maybe the occasional Sunday. Uh, but but it's, it's not fundamental to the fabric of my life. Remember, invite your children, your grandchildren into your faith experiences. Tell them the stories of how God met you at a time of need. Talk about your relationship with Jesus when you're at home, and when you're on the road, and when you're going to bed, and when you get up in the morning. Talk about the difference that he's making in your life right now. Our family faced a uh, serious trial uh, 10 years ago, roughly. Um, I, I'd um, been on staff in a church in Edmonton for six years at that point. And I was told that my services would no longer be required. Um, that my, my employment contract would, would, would conclude, was done. Um, and, and to be honest, it was one of the great fears of my life. Um, the fear of being rejected. Uh, the fear of being declared um, inadequate uh, to that role. The fear of, of being fired. That was, uh, so some of you were here this past Saturday night, um, when um, David Francino hosted the, the marriage workshop. And one of our presenters um, talked about uh, whispers, was the language they used, whispers that drive us, whispers that terrorize us, thoughts, ideas uh, that are stirring in the back of our minds um, that, that lead us to compromise our faith, uh, lead us not to trust in God. I was aware of this whisper. Like, I, I had... God had been gracious, and I knew this was something that was not quite right in my thinking, and I'd been working on it for years, and then God confronted me, hold on with it, bam, there it is. Um, we could have done the mom and dad thing, we could have, you know, coached everybody along and kind of moved on to the next thing. We, we decided that what we would do is we would call a family meeting, and we would invite our children, 
into uh, the pain, explained the situation, uh, explained our disillusionment with it. Uh, we talked together, we wept together. And then, and then we turned to Jesus. And we recounted what we knew of God's faithfulness to us as a family. We know that he loves us. We know that he's called us and that he's been at work for in us. He's been caring for us. Not just from the pages of scripture, but we went back and, and I was able to recount. You remember when God called us to Edmonton you know, six, six and a half years ago? He's demonstrated himself to be faithful. And, and, and it wasn't just about dad and mom being called to a, a place of ministry. It was actually about us as a family being called here and about him caring for very specific, very in, in, interesting, very intimate things that, 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 wow, look how God has taken care of us in this. And the God who was faithful to us then will be faithful to us now. So we can trust him. Though we don't really know where this is going, we can trust him. I'm convinced that that was, uh, was a meaningful faith encounter for us as a family. Talking about him as we rise in the morning, as we go to bed at night, as we go along the road, as we journey together. These are the, these are the encounters with the God here and now. What have your encounters been? What have been the times when, when God has met you? I know some of you are fairly early in, in your journey with Jesus. And already he's met you. He's already, he's led you. He's, talk about those things. Uh, begin to recount his faithfulness to you. We repeat them. We relive them. We review them. This current living reality, remembering the Lord through this continued, ongoing, daily experience of him. And here's something for your encouragement. Second-generation faith has no personal stories of God's encounter. If you have personal stories of God's encounter, welcome, child of God. Like, these are your stories now. You get to share them with the next generation, but they're your stories in your generation of one who has chosen God and one who is remembering in a very dynamic and active way and one then who is serving. Time is short, i got to wrap this up, but just a couple of quick summaries here. Faithful covenant people serve the Lord. That's what we do. He, uh, he has given himself to us, and we give ourselves back to him. I better get another hat up here. There we go. The book of Ruth is the next one. So Joshua judges Ruth. Uh, it, it's this, this beautiful story. Uh, in this same period of history, the period, the era of the judges, uh, of a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi. We're told at the beginning of it, during the period of judges, that, that there was famine in the land. They lived in Bethlehem. Uh, there's some irony attached to that. Bethlehem means house of bread. Bet, a house, lechem, a bread in the Hebrew. They go off to Moab, to a foreign country. It costs them everything. Elimelech died. Ten years later, uh, Naomi's two boys died um, in this foreign land. They'd married Moabite women. Naomi's destitute, depressed, um, disillusioned. Uh, says, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. Heard rumor that there was bread once again in the house of bread in Bethlehem uh, and, and, and headed back 
to Bethlehem, and Ruth insists on going with her. It's a beautiful love story. It's a wonderful account. And in Bethlehem again, they encounter a man named Boaz, who is a faithful, a faithful observer of the covenant. So, so it's easy in the judges' period to kind of see all these people who are screwing up. Like all of these people who, who don't do what Joshua implored them to do. But if you're paying attention, there's a bunch of them who are doing what God called them to do. Again, Hebrew narrative, they all, well, mostly, for the most part, they were unfaithful to God. But then there, were, there was somebody like Boaz, who was being faithful to the covenant, and he, he fulfills his obligation to this relative, to uh, Abimelech. Uh, he, um, Elimelech, sorry. He brings Elimelech's uh, buys his property uh, and and brings Ruth into his household, marries Ruth, um, and and it's just this beautiful story of of someone who's faithful and does what God calls them to do according to the the code of the law, and in in, in that obedience, that simple obedience, non heroic obedience, is this incredible account of of meeting the needs of of an impoverished couple of women who were utterly destitute, of, of Naomi having the joy of, of holding her grandson, little Obed, and, and rocking him to sleep at night with great joy in her heart. God has met her need. Uh, not knowing at that point that Obed would become the father of Jesse, and Jesse would become the father of David, the David, like King David. And all of a sudden, like this ordinary, extraordinary story, of, of a family in great distress becomes a story of God doing extraordinary things that they never could have imagined. What do you want to do in your story? What, what, what's he doing through your life? Boaz is called a, kin, a kinsman redeemer. There, there is another kin, another brother who has redeemed us who calls us into God's story and says in the midst of the, the COVID things you don't understand or the employment things you don't understand or the family things that are going sideways and you just, you don't, you don't, you're not sure where's God in the middle of all of this. And he's saying, faithful covenant followers, those who will lean into me and worship regardless of the circumstances, I'm with you. I will be near you I will provide for you. I will be your rescuer. You say, what a God is this? What a God is this that we serve? He invites me to choose. Calls me to remember, to live it actively. And then he invites me to serve. To worship him actively. Engage in him. The book of Ruth is followed by 1 Samuel. Let me read for you how, uh, how First Samuel begins. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. I don't have time to get into the story here, but holy smokes, Hophni and Phinehas are a piece of work. Like these guys are absolutely unfaithful to God. 
yeah, I don't have time to go into the story. The priests are supposed to be representing God uh, in this space, and, and yet uh, their vile contempt for God, for his people, pardon me, for the covenant work that they're supposed to be retaining and maintaining and encouraging, vile. And yet you get this ordinary guy like Elkanah, uh, uh, who, who is coming to worship. And if we read on a little further, we find out that his, his wife is distraught because she can't have children. Um, she p- cries out to God, just this heart's plea to God. And, and he exp- she experiences, she shares her pain, uh, the, the disillusionment of, of unknowing her infertility, the shame that's in that ancient culture was part of that journey for her. And, and she's unaware of the fact that God has been actually preparing to do an extraordinary thing through she and her family. And as she comes and consecrates herself to him again, and she becomes a worshiper, she serves God through the bringing of her worship. God actually, through Elkanah and Hannah, brings the man who would be the next prophet and the final judge of Israel, a man named Samuel. You say, wow. Like, I didn't know. God was doing extraordinary things, but look what he is doing. Samuel becomes the prophet who will anoint the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. We're going to talk about the era of the kings next week. But let me just draw together some principles here for you this morning. The first one would be this. God makes and keeps promises. You see, not only does he call us to choose, but he is one who chooses us. He is one who's in constant pursuit. As easy it is to see all the bad stuff that's going on in these accounts, he has faithfully in every generation called people to serve him and work through them. And so we see the, the track record of Noah and, and, and Moses, Abraham, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Uh, we see the track record of, of judges that he raises up who call the people back to God's purposes. Ordinary people like Elkanah and Hannah and Samuel. Even a foreigner like Ruth. And God is at work in and through, in through their, their lives. And, and it's continuing today. God is not asleep at the switch. God is constantly calling people to serve him. But every generation must make the choice themselves. As for me and my house, as far as it depends on me, as much as influence as I can, can, can exude, we'll serve the Lord. God makes and keeps promises. And he's actively inviting everyone to come and enjoy the benefits of his covenant love. Remember, like walk daily with him. The benefits of his nearness, the benefits of his provision, the benefits of his, his care, his mercy that's new every morning. We find out that the old covenant would lead us to the new covenant. Um, the encouragement in the old covenant was to remember that God had brought us out of Egypt. The remembrance in the new covenant is that we would remember what Christ has done for us. Those, those sacrifices that they looked back to and that they remembered and became part of their active ongoing worship on a daily basis uh, became that which would point to Jesus, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Uh, all preceding sacrifices pointed to his sacrifice. He he would be the one who would complete the first covenant. And his very act of laying his life down for you and for me would be that which would establish the new covenant. 
in his blood, poured out for you so that you could be welcomed in. Covenant, being covenant faithful people today is more than, than just sharing the bread and wine on a Sunday. It, it's about a Monday through Sunday, consistent pursuit of, of the one who's demonstrated such extraordinary love. It's a Monday through Sunday, persistent trusting. He was faithful then. He will be faithful now. Here's the third principle. Those who live in the new covenant will experience God. If you will live in covenant agreement with God, be assured you will experience Him. You're invited to become a worshiper. To take on the identity of a servant one whose very life, so, so more than the songs we sing on Sunday, they're, they're important. Your, your very life becomes about serving him. 24-7, we, we become those who experience his nearness, who experience his provision, who experience his assurance to us in our times of trouble. And so it, it was in this sort of wrapping up of the old covenant, this description of being covenant faithful people, we come this morning as those who need to be reminded that there is a new covenant that was made in the blood of Jesus. If you've got your elements handy, pull those out and get them ready. Jesus took the bread from the Passover meal, which was this meal that was kind of at the heart of the act of remembering the old covenant. It was the heart of remembering what God had done. He redeemed us out of Egypt. And Jesus took the bread from that meal and he said, this bread is my body given for you. I suspect there were people sort of, the disciples were standing around the room in the upper room that Thursday night, scratching their heads saying, uh, what? He said, this actually points to me. The Lamb of God who takes this away the sin of the world. All previous sacrifices pointed to this sacrifice. And he says, take and eat this bread in remembrance of what I've done. Covenant, obedient person. Let's, let's eat together. And at the conclusion of that Passover meal, he took the cup from the Passover table. The cup of redemption that would, that would remind us that we need a redeemer kinsman redeemer, uh, one who would restore us to the Father. His name is Jesus. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood, established in his blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me, and we drink together in remembrance of what he's done. And in this, we resolve once again I will choose him. I, I, will, I will remember. I will live an active, engaged remembrance of his experience with me. And I will serve. I will be a worshiper. And I will encounter the living God. 